Welcome to Unshushed, a new podcast made by librarians and for librarians, teachers, and lovers of young adult literature. My name is Erin Logan, and I am a middle school librarian. Hi, my name is Laura Gladney-Lemon, and I am a high school librarian. Hi, I'm Mindy Hutt, and I can't wait to talk about some books today, and I'm a high school librarian, too. Hi, I'm Shirley Dickey, and I also am a high school librarian. Glad to be here. We also have Darcy Burroughs with us today. She's an intermediate school librarian as well. All right, guys. So anybody want to kick us off and tell us what they've been reading that they're super excited about? I will. I brought notes and my book. I think last week at the end of the week, maybe, or this weekend, I read Far From the Tree. Has anybody else read that one by Robin Benway? I have. Awesome book. Okay. It's pretty new. The cover, first off, is gorgeous. And I like the color scheme and all the leaves that are coming off of it. Um, It says that it was a National Book Award winner. And I've just immediately fell in love with this book. The story starts with our character named Grace. And um, Grace gets pregnant in high school. And the night that she is delivering her baby that she's going to give up for adoption is also the same night that her ex-boyfriend slash baby daddy is being crowned homecoming king. So it kind of deals a little bit with the, the social stigmas and everything that comes from the girl being in that situation versus what happens with the guys in that situation. Grace has known her entire life that she's adopted, but having her own child and giving her child up for adoption starts really prompting her to want to find her birth mother. So she starts talking to her parents about it and there's not really any information on her mom, but it turns out she's got two biological siblings, a younger sister named Maya, who was also adopted at birth and an older brother named Joaquin who was never adopted was taken away by CPS and he's basically been passed through the foster system his entire life. They're all high school age and you find out that they all sort of live within an hour of one another and the story is told not from first person but each chapter sort of um, rotates between Grace, Maya and Joaquin and you find out just a lot about their backstories and I don't I just loved it. You said you read it too Sherry? Yeah, it's a wonderful story about finding who you are and finding yourself in in the midst of crazy hard life that we all are living. Yeah, I, I just think it says so much about relationships and what does family really mean? Who are the important people in our lives? And I don't know, I, I could not put it down. It was definitely one of those books that I stayed up at entirely too late reading uh, the entire time I was reading it. It's like about what, like 350 pages. I just, I don't know. I, I loved it. I'm really glad that I have it in my library because I work with sixth, seventh, and eighth grade students. It's not really a book that I would book talk with a sixth or seventh grade class, but but I just, I really like that it's out there for the kids that need it. And I fell in love with it. Awesome. I can't wait to read it. Thanks for talking about it. What was the author of that? Her name is Robin Benway. And a couple years ago, my students started coming in the library and always asking for the really sad books. I was like, Miss Logan, I really, I need a really sad book. And so for some reason, the last couple years, I catch myself reading. I mean, not that this is a sad book. It does have a few sad moments in it, but it has some happy and joyous stuff in it too. So this is definitely one of my, like for people that are looking for, you know, people kind of going through some struggles as many teenagers are. Yeah. Talking about struggles. I just read Long Way Down. Has anybody else read that? Oh, I finally did. Home to read over the summer and it didn't happen. And then I read it in like an hour. 
right? I read it before work one day because I kept handing it to people and I thought, you know what, I better read this whole thing. And it didn't take long at all and definitely addresses people having a struggle. I love that it's in verse and it has great illustrations throughout. So you really pull in some readers who maybe wouldn't have picked up a full long chapter book, but still get all of the literature type need like for an English class they can still meet all those needs but they don't have to read quite as long a book but still be able to really get into the story did you like it too I really did and I'll be honest I I don't like Jason Reynolds books as much as most people do I know I loved all American boys but I don't know like the track series and all that. Some of those just don't really speak to me. I loved All American Boys. I loved it so much. And I brought this one home over the summer because I wanted to love it too. And I picked just, it kept getting down on the bottom of my stack for whatever reason. But when I finally, honestly, the other day sat down and read it, I could not stop reading it. And I also knew it was going to be a fast read. I'm not sure. I heard it's being made into a movie and I don't really know how I feel about it being made into a movie. I like it. Like some books, I just think that they need to live in the page and in my brain. But I don't know. I really loved it. And I liked all of the like kind of ghosts of the past coming back into the elevator, but they seemed so real. Yeah. Uh, all of the people that were talking to him just seemed real. I just can't imagine as a movie though. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, I think it being with the illustrations really did help some of the kids because they got confused a little bit. But it's a good book to want to talk with the kids about because when they finish, they're like, wait, what just happened? And then they want to talk about it. And that's why I wanted to make sure I read it before school one day because I handed it to a kid and that's exactly what he did. He came back and he was like, wait, what just happened? (laughs) I think I know what happened, but you know, we're always right in our own minds. Right. But yes, I've had a few conversations with some kids that have picked it up and at the end they come back, they're like, what? Right. The ending is definitely uh, leads itself to a lot of really good conversations. I think. I was doing some book talks the other day and I did, I did the audio of Jason Reynolds reading the first, first few minutes of the book and his voice is so powerful and it's really great to kids change. Like at first they're like, whatever. And then they're listening to it and it's so authentic due to their voice that by the end they're really quiet. He was the keynote speaker a couple years ago at Tween's Read and he did a phenomenal job opening the entire festival. I I like listening to him talk. Yeah, I can see how that would be great. Is there anybody who you think like we need to put this in this child's hands? A non-reader would do well with this book or one who's used to graphic novels where there's a lot of action on the page, you know, and since it's in verse, there's not that many words per line, which really helps. That sounds good. I recently read Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus. Have y'all read that? No, but that sounds adorable. So I... I was very confused by the title, right? I was like, what, what is this about? And I was pleasantly surprised. This was a book that I read in a day. It's And it's not that it's necessarily that short. It's just a very quick read. And you kind of fall in love with the characters rather quickly. There's a little girl named Avon. And she's in eighth grade. And she's grown up in one area her whole life. And she doesn't have any arms. And... Because she's always lived in this one area, everybody knows who she is. They know her struggles. They've watched her eat with her feet in the cafeteria since kindergarten. And so she gets to just be herself. 
but um, her parents are going through a hard time and her father's lost his job and they have to move. And somebody reached out. They lived in Kansas, I believe it was. And um, somebody reached out from Arizona and they move and he's going to be in charge of this old called Stagecoach Pass, I believe. It's this old like amusement park that's really run down and they are going to live there as well. So imagine you don't have any arms, you're new to town and now you're living at the old rundown amusement park also. So she goes to school and of course, I I mean, you can imagine the fear she has just going in anxiety, going into a new school setting already, but then to go in being so obviously different. And in her struggle to find somewhere where she feels safe, she goes to the library. Of course she does. Of course she does. And when she goes to the library, this kid barks at her and she's like, what? And he barks at her again. And she's like, I'm just going to go up to him because she kind of grew up like you're perfect the way that you are. Nothing was a mistake. You know what I mean? Like she feels very empowered um, as an individual, which I absolutely love about her. She's not for me, you know, whatever. She's, she's very empowered. She knows she can do anything. So she walks right up to the kid and she's like, are you barking at me? And he was like, yeah, but I don't mean to. I have Tourette's. And so he's there in the library to be safe as well. And they befriend another little kid who, well, not so little, he's overweight and he avoids the cafeteria because he doesn't want people watching him and the amount of food that he consumes and that kind of thing. And so they make this really cute little trio and there's also a big mystery going on and they're trying to solve the mystery and kind of she is helping to build up her friends because she was raised it's really cute her dad calls her she and because they referred to her as the queen of sheba when they adopted her she's also adopted which is really cool too so there's all of these other elements going on at one time and they all feel authentic you know and i really love the way that the parents talk about the adoption process as well and then the whole mystery thing and it goes in a direction that you're not quite anticipating and the end is just it's really beautiful it's a great story she does drop all these little clues along the way and you can go back and be like oh yeah i get it you know i highly recommend the book and it's by dusty bowling the insignificant events in the life of a cactus and you'll understand the title as well whenever you read it. I have that book on my shelf and I like the cover. I just haven't managed to pick it up yet because, you know, every time I read a book, I add six more to my to-read list. So my to-read list never shrinks. Well, that's why I'm so excited about this podcast. We can all hear about other things that we need to make sure we put down to the read list. Yeah, because it definitely needs to get longer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing is, you know, I'm all about diversity and inclusion, and I didn't know about this book. Like, it didn't pop up on a lot of diversity and inclusion places that I look and, you know, lists that I peruse, and maybe now, because I've read it, I'll see it in more places. You know how that works. But I think it's such a great book for inclusion because it, it includes somebody with physical differences, lots of different physical differences, and then... Tourette's and what he deals with as a as a child that has Tourette's and then it, they even go to a support group so then you meet other people that have different types of Tourette's so you kind of get an awareness of that and isn't it great if our students they read something like that and they and maybe they know somebody that has it and, and now they can say I understand that that person's not doing it for attention his parents were divorced they struggled with his Tourette's you know so there's all of the familial aspects too that are all incorporated in that book that I thought were 
really powerful. And I think that's a really great thing just about young adult literature in general and the direction that it's going is including a lot of different types of characters because that's how the world is. You know, I mean, our reality is we are not always just surrounded by one type of person. And I I applaud a lot of young adult authors for adding that, you know, their stories these days. I do agree. That's great. So the book that I'm going to talk about actually was written for that very reason. The author, Elizabeth Acevedo, who wrote The Poet X, actually was a teacher. And she couldn't really understand why her students were not super excited about reading. And they came to her and they were like, you know, miss, these aren't our stories. These people don't look like us in this book. They're not living our lives. And she was really inspired and touched by that. And so she left teaching and decided to go back and get an MFA and wrote for her students this book, The Poet X. And it's beautiful. Go ahead and order three or four copies now because you're not going to be able to keep it on your shelves. It's going to be the next big thing. And it's a story of a girl who lives in New York in the Bronx and she is from Dominican Republic originally, like her origins are from the Dominican Republic. Um, So she is an Afro-Latina and she develops early and gets some curves. So this book talks about her plight with men and boys giving her attention that she's not looking for, asking for. And also she has a twin who has a hard time standing up for himself. So she does a lot of fire. And this is a story, though, all told in verse. So, you know, give this book to somebody who loves your Ellen Hopkins or your Jason Reynolds long way down. All told in verse in diary format of her story of how she deals with that unwanted attention and a mom who is very Catholic um, and it's coming of age story. And it talks about how she's dealing with all those things and she was invited to become a part of the spoken word club at her school but she doesn't know that she can say the words that are in her so it's a story of her dealing with lots of stuff and using words as an outlet and it's beautifully written i've even given it to a couple of guys that said that they liked long way down girl that says they you know if they've already read angie thomas's uh they hate you give and dear martin it's not about the same topic at all but it's for fans of those books and um, and also more because I really find that my students find novel and verse much more accessible if they're a struggling reader. So I love this book. It was beautiful. I learned a lot from it. I like five copies. Kids love it. I definitely think it's great for high school shelf. My intermediate school librarian friends have asked me to check to say if I think it's appropriate for an eighth grader or not. I may never say something's appropriate for an eighth grader because I'm kind of a a scaredy cat in a little bit, but I did check with Common Sense Media, which I do have a lot of respect for, and they actually said that it was age 13 plus book. So I would say, you know, a mature eighth grader, especially, you know, a mature eighth grader, according to Common Sense Media. So I, you know, I work in middle school and I loved this book. I was reading it last year during the librarian conference and went and got it from the author herself and had it signed and everything. And I was telling her that again, even, you know, I am a white girl from South Louisiana, but I still saw a lot of my teenage self and just growing up in the very, very Catholic household and all that. Like I, it was a mirror, but it was also a window, you know, for me. And there were many things 
that my rebellious teenage self loved about that book. I do not have it on my shelf and I probably wouldn't put it on my shelf, but if the right kid put up, like requested that book, maybe as an eighth grader, I wouldn't decline a hold. You know what I mean? Like as much as I loved it, I know some of the reviews say 13 and up, but um, I loved it. I loved it a lot. And I think it's a very powerful book, but I don't think I'm going to be housing it on my shelves. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I just want to say that this book is on my nightstand. It's on my nightstand. It's been there all summer, like long way down for you. Dust it off. Dust it off and read it. Yeah, I bet you got it at TLA too. This is Shirley. Uh, The book I brought today is called All Rights Reserved. It's written by... Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was a really good book. Gregory Scott Katsoulis wrote it, and he's not a particularly well-known author, but this book is really about a future world where every, everything, words, gestures, all kinds of things are copyrighted or patented or trademarked. And so every time you do or say one of those things, it charges you money automatically through a wristband that everybody has to wear. So it just sort of buzzes and says, you've been charged $9.99 or whatever. So we're this future world, everybody who isn't wealthy is in debt. And when you get in debt, they send you off to this horrible place where you have to go do horrible labor. And so this story is about a girl whose name is Speth, S-P-E-T-H, which when you first read it, you're thinking, I've not heard that name before. Well, that's because it's a free name. Even names are copyrighted. And so if you want to name your child something common, you have to pay to do it. So they have these certain list of free names. And so Speth is a free name. And when you're younger than 15 in this world, you can speak for free. So lots of times in this society, the younger siblings do all the talking for the families because they're allowed to talk without costing money. But this this young girl, Speth, is about to turn 15. And so there's, there's product endorsements coming. And interesting, there's this little secret group of almost ninja types, you know, who go around in the middle of the night and they do product placements. And you're like, you might get up in the morning and on your counter is a product placement for, you know, some product that somebody wants you to buy. It's kind of creepy to me that they're, you know, they're creeping into your house in the middle of the night. And and placing things on your counter, but everybody seems to accept it as normal in this world. Anyway, Speth is approaching her 15th birthday, and she was all set to have product sponsors and all kinds of things. But right at the time when she is getting ready to accept the last day's speech, her friend Beecher commits suicide right there in front of her and all of the people who are gathered for this last day's speech. And he was also sort of her pseudo boyfriend as well. And because his family is very far in debt and he commits suicide in order to avoid having to work off his family's debt in these labor camps. So she is standing there in front of everybody and she makes the decision after much turmoil to just not speak. And when she, when she doesn't speak, she sets off this great revolution in the society because she is a very unwilling leader. Her family is persecuted because of what she's done. In fact, her sister looks a lot like a famous person and they tell her she's not allowed to leave her apartment anymore because she is that look is copyrighted so she can no longer be out of her house at all because she looks too much like this famous person so it's it's crazy stuff that goes on lots of lots of societal revenge going on for Speth who just decided not to speak. So it also has economic impacts in society because other other people 
uh, decide to follow her example and they stop speaking. And so this has economic ramifications across the country and crazy, crazy things are happening. And there's, as I told you before, there's this little secret society that goes and does product placement and she ends up meeting one of those people and lots of things happen because of that. And people die. There's a little bit, there's a tiny bit of romance. There's lots of rebellion. It's just pretty much got a little bit of everything. But it really leaves, I think, the reader a lot of opportunity to think about what could happen to our society if we actually went this far with all of the litigation and crazy things that we have going on now. It's not such a far reach to think that sometime in the future we might get to this. I found it very thought-provoking. I think it could be a very good book to sit and roundtable discuss with, with our students. It sounds like a book that if you liked um, M.T. Anderson's feed, and or Alex London's proxy, you know, because like in proxy, the guy that's the proxy is paying off his debt to society or whatever. And then in feed, you know, all these ads are just pumping through your brain the whole time. And is that even really that far from all the targeted advertising that happens right now anyway? You know, you Google something and then you see it 8,000 other times um, <laughs> in all of your social media and everything that you do on your computer at this point. I just went and put it on hold from the public library Thanks. <laughs> I'm number one of one in line, so I'll be reading that one soon. Well, I can send you my copy. I have copies here. That's okay. I'm mean, honestly, I prefer to read on my Nook um, because it's so much easier for me to read in bed at night, and my arms don't get tired, and I don't have to turn off a lamp. And when I pass out reading, it saves my spot. So, I yeah, I will I will definitely finish a book a lot faster if I have it in ebook format. I love paper books, but I just it takes me longer to read them. So yeah, I do a lot of audio in my car and stuff like that. But yeah, I liked All Rights Reserved a lot. And I still think I read it a while back. And I still think about it a lot when we talk about copyright infringement. And if you think about all the words that Shakespeare just created, he just made those words up. And if we had to pay every time we used one of his phrases or something, I just think it's really interesting to think about way after you read the book, which I, I always love in a book. It kind of reminds me, not specifically based on what you're talking about, but Warcross. And I'm not a gamer. I don't, that doesn't interest me at all. But that, in that book, whenever I heard it was about gaming or whatever, I was like, mm, okay. But I picked it up and I absolutely loved it. And I thought, you know, people are so willing to alter their reality. You know, and we see that every day in, in our social media posts, you know, because it's not a regular picture. Like people are, they take a picture and then they take another picture and they take another picture until they find a picture that's suitable. And even if it's not suitable, then they're going to do a Snapchat filter or whatever, and they're going to change it up so that it's even better, you know, than, than reality or whatever. And um, I just feel like we have so many different things playing into what we consider is our reality. And I think that there's something bigger kind of pulling the strings. So I think that might be interesting to read, especially if you liked Warcross. Yeah, Warcross is one of my favorite books I've read in a really long time. I've been very excited to hand that to a lot of kids. I mean, the ones that really loved Ender's Game, and then they read Ready Player One, and they were like, I don't, I don't know, I don't get all of the references to the 80s and stuff. But 
Warcross speaks to all of them and it's action packed. And I just really loved it. I got the sequel to Warcross and I had mm. tons of kids coming through that were asking, Oh, Miss Logan, when are we getting it? When are we getting it? And it finally came in and none of those kids like had it on hold or none of them came to pick it up. So someone from another campus requested it. And I was like, well, I guess if you're that excited about it, I'll send it over for you. So I feel like that's a big one with our kids right now is Warcross. So way to go, Marie Lou. Did anybody read letters to the lost? No, I haven't heard of it. It is fairly new and I loved it. Again, I'm, I'm going on my little like kind of death tangent, I guess, um, with books. The cover is beautiful. It is blue and it's got these flowers that are made of handwritten letters on the cover. And that book follows Juliet who has lost her mom in a car accident and in her way that she's dealing with her grief, she is handwriting letters to her and placing them on her grave. And our other, I guess I've been reading a lot alternate perspective books too, like alternating perspective books. Um, Declan is the other main character who has been assigned to community service in the graveyard because of a drunk driving incident. And when they are cleaning around graves, they're supposed to like pick up personal things like, you know, little mementos, flowers, things like that so that they don't get damaged. And he ends up picking up one of these letters and reading it and he feels something. He feels like the person that is writing this letter understands him too. So he picks a pencil out of his pocket and responds to it. So in the next chapter, Juliet comes back and she's like, who is this monster that violated me and my privacy and my mom and read my letter? And then she started thinking, well, is my mom actually reading these? No. And they sort of develop a relationship with one another like feeling each other's grief and understanding where each other's coming from. I don't know. It was a beautiful story. I loved it. It was good. That sounds amazing. Do you have it on your shelf? I do. It's uh, by an author named Bridget Kemmerer, K-E-M-M-E-R-E-R. It's one of those books that, I mean, the reviews that I read again said like 13 and up. And sometimes I'm starting to question some reviews that say 13 (laughs) and up, but I mean, Honestly, these are issues that, you know, a lot of 13 year olds might deal with. And I don't know. I just, I loved it. There was the only issue that I had with it was the character named Declan. And I know that's just a character's name, but it's also my mother-in-law's dog's name. So um, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes when I already know somebody with a name, it, it's kind of hard for me to like disassociate it with that person, which is weird, but I don't know. I, there's a lot about it that I loved. It was one of those, I stayed up, I've been staying up way too late reading, I guess, but I've been picking winners apparently because I've been loving them. Yeah, well, you wouldn't stay up late if it wasn't a winner, right? No, I know. In fact, <laughs> the book that I'm reading tonight, I can't wait to, or right now, I can't wait to make notes on it for next podcast because I think that's going to be the one that I'm talking about, but I'm not done with it, so. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in to our first episode of Unshushed. We look forward to getting back with you in a month.